Father, we, we come to you, Lord, we lift up our souls to you, and, and we trust, Jesus, that you have provided the way, that you are the door to our Father, our Heavenly Father. You have, you have made us able to be adopted by our Father. And Lord, it, it's certainly not our will uh, that accomplished any of this, but Lord, you chose us and you gave us uh, the invitation. You called us to be your children. And Lord, I thank you so much that many in here have responded to that call. And many in here have said, yes, I want to be adopted by my Heavenly Father. I want to be a part of his family and his kingdom. And Lord, I thank you so much that you do this for us because you love us. And because, Lord, you, you knew our, our failure. God, you provided, you took care of that when Jesus died on the cross. And Lord, we, we, we stand before you, we say thank you. And we, we love you, we respond to your gifts, and we respond to your grace with love. God, we want to serve you, we want to know you, we want to study your word, we want to sing your praises. God, we are new people because of what you have done. So Lord, we ask right now that you would, by your spirit, unfold into our hearts and to our minds the meaning of your scriptures. Lord, the, the depth of truth and the depth of wonderful things that have been given to us. God, we thank you for your word and we pray, God, that it would be um, filled with the power of your spirit right now. Lord, we confess that we sin, but that does not keep us away from you. We can run to you with all our sin holding us back, Lord. We can still run to you and you free us. God, nothing can hold us away from you, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today's Bible study is called The Greatness of Justification by Faith. And I, put, I was going to do another title, so I'll tell you that one too, and that was You Don't Even Know. I like that one. The Greatness of Justification by Faith. In 2011... There were $41.7 billion nationwide that made up the unclaimed funds in, a, in the United States. This includes cash, insurance policies, and property that people didn't know belonged to them. Maybe someone died. Maybe you won it in a contest and you didn't even know. I don't know, but there's all this stuff. And I know for certain, a, a fact, that every single one of us just thought, I wonder if some of that belongs to me. And, or maybe if you're super godly, you thought, maybe it belongs to my wife. And then it's mine by proxy. You see, because we're all very concerned with knowing about what belongs to us. And for good reason. If I don't know about my stuff, I can't use it. I can't enjoy it. If I don't even know about it, it's like it doesn't exist. Because it doesn't benefit me as it should. So I want you to imagine today that there's a castle that belongs to you. Somewhere in Colorado, they discovered a castle. And the title deed had your name on it. But... Right now, you don't know about it. In my imagination, I would call my castle Schondenberg Manor. I just made up that name because I think it sounds cool. So the law 
or the government, you know, they don't, ca they don't care. They don't care how you own the stuff, whether you worked hard for it or whether it was given to you or whether you inherited it. They're going to tax you for it anyway, right? They don't even care if you know about it. It's still, the government still recognizes you as the owner, whether you know about it or not. And the law, it does, however, recognize your right to obtain and enjoy and use your property. And that little illustration brings us to our text today. Our text today is Genesis 15:6, and I told you last week as we went through the whole chapter 15 that we were going to pause this week on just verse 6 because it's completely foundational for our lives, for everything that God has given us for the entire New Testament is pretty much built on this verse. And so Genesis 15:6 says, "And he believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness." So Abraham, he believed what God said, and God said, well, since you believe me, I now account you as righteous, or I consider you righteous, or I give you righteousness. See, if you've been called by God, called out of the world, like Abraham was called out of Ur, and he heard and he said, all right, God, I'm out of here because you said. If you've been called by God, and you truly believed it, you have been given righteousness. And another word for righteousness is called justification. It's like the castle that God has given you, that we're imagining. Remember, you named yours. You got a funny name like I did. It's the castle that God has given you. It's yours. And Abraham, he's been called out of the world to God. So the next step in his life with God is justification. And that's exactly how it works with us. It says in the New Testament, them who called are they who he justified. If he calls you, he justifies you. That's the next step in your relationship with God. So if God has called you, then he surely is going to justify you. He, he never calls anyone and expects them to live up to that calling on their own abilities. So our lesson for today is this. We are going to learn how wonderful and amazing this castle is that you own. You just found out about. We're going to learn how amazing it is. We're going to learn how happy and excited we should be because of what has been given to us. We're going to learn how amazing is justification. How amazing is the justification that's been given to us? We're going to learn how amazing justification is. Why? Well, here's your weekly quote from Spurgeon. Yet many are justified who don't know their happy condition, to whom as yet the blessing of justification has not been opened up in its excellency and abundance of privilege. He's talking about us. And he says, there are many people who don't know. So that's why we're going to spend a week so you know, because you don't even know. Do you know what these mean when you hear these? Accepted in the beloved. Perfect in Christ Jesus. Complete in him. These are terms and phrases that go along with our justification. And if those don't set off all kinds of bells in your mind and, and well up deep rivers in your heart, something's wrong. 
And what's wrong is that our heart yet understands all the fullness of the justification that's been given to us. So today is like that exciting meeting you go to when someone just discovers that you are the long-lost heir of a billionaire. And they begin explaining all the amazing riches and blessings that you now possess. Today is like the day you open up your new iPhone. And that little paper comes out of the box and explaining all the new features and all the blessings of having an iPhone. Amen. And so again, our text is Genesis 15:6 that says, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So we're using some big, big words. What is this righteousness? It is being pronounced innocent in a court of law. Righteousness means being right. You are right. You are justified. If you go to court and the judge says you're innocent, you are justified of all charges. That's where the word justified means. It's linked with righteousness. It means innocent. It's the judge declaring you innocent of all charges. The reason this is tricky when it comes to God and people is that it's difficult to get a guilty person pronounced innocent, isn't it? It's difficult. You only have a few options if you're a righteous judge or, or even their defense attorney. Even if you love the guilty defendants, even if you have a relationship with them, it's difficult. You only have three options, as I see it. You sentence them to death because they're guilty. Well, you don't want to do that because you love them. Your second option is you prove that they're innocent. But if they're guilty, you're in a pickle, aren't you? Or number three... You find a substitute to serve the sentence of death for the guilty party so that they can go free. Because a righteous judge cannot ignore guilt. He can't. He can't get anyone off on a technicality. My wife and I like watching uh, TV shows about judges and lawyers and stuff like that because I think it's fascinating. And they're always getting someone off on a technicality and no one ever goes to jail that's supposed to go to jail. And all the innocent people always get convicted because that's what these TV shows find interesting. And so, but God can't do that. God can't get anyone off on a technicality. I guess that's the bummer of being all wise and all good at the same time. So first we're going to discover how Abraham and us, receive this justification, and how, how did Abraham get this righteousness? So turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Dial it into your smartphones, turn your pages. We are going to spend some time here in Romans chapter 4. I, I would encourage you to go home and spend the entire week reading through this chapter because it's so rich with the blessings of justification by faith. But we're going to unpack it a bit here. So he says, in Romans chapter 4, verse 1, What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, to him who works... The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So we'll stop right there. Our question is, how did Abraham get his righteousness? 
And the answer number one is not by works. Not by works. Nothing Abram did or could ever do could make him right before God. Just like a guilty criminal cannot do anything to not be guilty anymore. You could, let's say you got arrested. Let's say you jaywalked and you get arrested and the penalty in Denver for jaywalking is death, as we all know. So you get arrested and you tell the judge, judge, I have done, I helped 15 old ladies across the street. In fact, I was on my way to help another old lady across the street when I was jaywalking. I saw her and I said, no, stop. I was running over to get and help this old lady across the street. And, and I, I do everything else right in my life. I've been a good person. I've been a good employee. I've been a good boss. I never do anything wrong. And the judge says, oh, those are all great things, but you're guilty of jaywalking, so you die. That's how justice works. No matter how many good things you've done, the bad things never get erased. And this is the common misconception in our world today, in the liberal thinking mind, or even people who consider Christianity and they're thinking about it, they think, I, I've done so many good things, how can God be mad at me right now today? I mean, yes, I'm not accepting Jesus, I'm not accepting his son, but how can God send me to hell? And if God is going to send someone like me to hell, who's generally a good person, then I don't want to serve that type of God, I don't want to know that type of God, and I'll be fine wherever I'm at. And what's so sad is there's an offer on the table for that person to have their sin washed away, but they refuse to acknowledge that they have sinned. Or they refuse to acknowledge the penalty of the sin isn't up to them to decide. God gets to decide. And it may seem harsh to us that the penalty for jaywalking is death. But there's a whole thing behind that. There's reasons why God's penalty for sin is so serious. I think we said last week it's because he's so holy. His, his entire heaven is holy and he wants you to live with him in that heaven but the standards are so high. What do we do? What do we do? Abraham's works did not make him right. If he did something awesome, he would have something to boast about, it said in Romans. In fact, God would have to boast about him too. God loves to declare when someone's acts are perfect through their whole life. He actually loves to open up heaven and scream to everyone who's around how awesome that person is. He's only had opportunity to do that one time, though. Do you remember when Jesus was being baptized? It says heaven was opened, and Jesus said to everyone, This is my beloved son. Have you seen how awesome he is? He always pleases me. So God, not only would Abraham have something to boast about, but God would have something to boast about, too. So I thought Abraham had done some good things, though. Well, yes, he had, he had left Ur. He had, he had just come back, as we saw two weeks ago, from rescuing his nephew Lot. Maybe he could have stood upon that and said, God, you should accept me because I went to war and rescued my nephew Lot. Isn't that a good thing? Yes, but not really. Isaiah tells us that we, I'll quote it to you, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. So anything we have ever tried to do cannot gain righteousness for us. 
Because all of our actions, all of our works are stained and cursed by the original rebellion and the sin of Adam. He ruined it all for us. He ruined it for Abraham. And so Abraham can't even boast about the good things that he had done. No matter how much you try to change a chihuahua into a majestic wolf, you can't. You fail. And that's what we are when we try to, to change our righteousness or try to get his righteousness by our own works. Paul freely confesses in Romans 7, 18, For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is to present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. So Abraham and Paul have this thing in common, that they both had nothing in their flesh that pleased God. It said in Romans 4 that what has Abraham found according to the flesh? And Paul says, I have nothing in my flesh that pleases God. They could join with Job, who said in Job 40, verse 4, Behold, I am vile. Who shall answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth, he said. And in 42, 5, he said, I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself or hate myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job, who got a very clear picture of God, he got an answer from God, he got to see God and, and hear God, his opinion of himself after that was, I'm screwed. I am lame. I am terrible. God, our works don't work. Our works don't work. Our efforts to remove that stain of that guilt uh, that covers each of our souls, they just fall short. But that's okay. You think, man, this Bible study is bringing me down. Well, we're just starting. I have to set the stage. I have to let us know where we're at so that the greatness of justification by faith can be seen in our eyes. All right, so here's the benefit number one of justification by faith. If you have your little notes, I have each one of these written in there for you so you can fill them in. The benefit number one of justification is that you are free from the requirement to earn forgiveness. You are free from the requirement to earn forgiveness. He said, it's grace, not wages. In Romans chapter 4, I think it was verse 4, he said, Now to him who works, are, are, the wages are not counted as grace, but of de as debt. So if forgiveness is paid to the ones who earn it, it could not be called grace. It could not be freely given to anyone. We call them Christmas gifts, don't we? We, or birthday gifts, we never call them Christmas wages or birthday wages. There's a reason, because grace is a gift. Yet the answer most people will tell you when you ask them how to go to heaven is be a good person. Try to measure up to the standard. Try to earn salvation. And justification by faith frees us from that, that we have to earn forgiveness. They say, try to measure up to the standard. What standard? The law? Oh, you mean the law that said in Romans 3.19, now we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that every, everyone in the world may become guilty before God. That law? 
That's the law that you want to try to measure up to the standard, the laws that tells you to shut your mouth because you're guilty? That law? See, when you get someone to think about earning their forgiveness, you can help them to stop. You can help them to be free because that's a chain around their neck. Maybe it's a chain around your neck. Maybe you sinned this week and you felt the chain. You felt, how am I going to be forgiven? If I died right now, I'd go to hell. God would, God would have every right to send me to hell. So how can I be freed? And the answer is, it's the same. It's by faith. You are justified by faith. We'll get into how to practically apply that in just a second here. So how did Abraham get this righteousness? Number one, it was not by works. Number two, it's not by some religious ceremony. And this is a really important one. So we're going to skip down to Romans chapter 4, verse 9. And it says, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So what Paul says here is that this justification, this free forgiveness, this free innocent verdict is not given to someone who partakes in some secret ceremony or not-so-secret ceremony. Abraham was clearly justified before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a ceremony that they would do. It was a religious act. It was a church thing. It was a church thing. But he says here, Abraham was saved before that, the moment he believed. See, the traditions or the sacraments of Israel and the church, they cannot save by themselves. Baptism is the truest step of obedience for any saved person. In their spiritual, invisible salvation, it is proclaimed and manifest and shouted to the world when they say, I want to get baptized. But it's worthless by itself. It's just a random person getting, getting all wet if they haven't believed first. If they're trusting in the, the outward act, then it's just a bath. And a weird bath, too, because you're taking a bath after 50 other people. It's not even getting you clean. But when you have faith first, when you trust God first that he has washed away your sins, then it becomes the most real image and, and, and declaration that your sins have been washed away. Amen? Taking communion, which we're going to do over here, is the most spiritually meaningful time in the life of a believer. But it can just be a cracker and juice and possibly death to an unbeliever. If you don't believe, Paul says, eat at your own risk because you think you're alive, but you're really dead. And you're, you're eating this, you're partaking of it, saying, oh yeah, the body and blood of Jesus, but in your heart, you don't really believe it was for you. And he says, you're just, you're fooling yourself and the end of that is going to be death. Maybe even earlier than you were supposed to, Paul said. It's crazy. But for a believer, this is our lifeblood. This reminds us and brings us back to so much that Jesus has done for us. This, he said, for a believer is deep. It's wonderful. In other words, God is protecting his gift of righteousness from being obtained by the faithfulness to perform a physical ceremony. God 
loves his gift of righteousness so much. He loves this castle that he wants to give you so much that he's protecting it from anything that's external. It has to be just the heart. So let's go to benefit number two. Benefit number two of justification, you are free from the requirement to know the exact way to do things. How do I get baptized? Well, some people sprinkle you. Some people dunk you. Some people hold you down. Some people raise you up. What is the right way? In a river, in a swimming pool, in a bathtub, in a baptismal thing? What is the right way? And what we have with justification by faith is we have the freedom from having to know what the right way to do things is. In John chapter 14, verse 5, I've mentioned this before, and I love this part. Thomas asked Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you're going, because Jesus just told him, hey, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. And Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going. We do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, Thomas, Thomas, calm down, chill out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Thomas, it's cool, it's totally awesome that you've just been walking with me for three years and you get to the three years and you literally don't know anything about how you're supposed to do anything. You've just been hanging out with me and now I say I'm leaving, I'm leaving you in charge and Thomas is like, wait, hold on, I did not sign up for this. I was supposed to have how to do baptism, how to do communion, how to do this and that and everything we're supposed to do. I I mean, the Pharisees studied for a Dozens of years to learn how to do all the external things that they did. And so I'm sure, Jesus, this, there's a lot to this. And Jesus said, nope. All you got to do is know me and believe in me. Trust me. It's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So Jesus just simplifies everything. He says, if it's with me, then it works. But I got baptized by a thimble of dirty pond scum water. Hey, it worked because Jesus was there. Well, I got baptized in pudding. That's weird. But I suppose there's water in there somewhere. Hey, if it's with Jesus, it works. We can talk about the importance of these ceremonies another time. But for today, they do not save people. They show that a person Or they don't show that a person is magically justified. They just don't work for that. And there is parts of the church that say, if you're baptized, you are saved. And they say that. And and I understand why they say that. I used to not understand. I used to just think they were crazy. But they're not. They take some parts of the word of God that say, repent and be baptized, and anyone who's baptized is saved. And, And they take it super, super literally when it says that, where They don't understand the order of justification by faith first and then baptism being an act that follows that. So I'm not going to start a war over those things. But So how does Abraham actually obtain this justification? I've given you two reasons how he didn't, by works and by a ceremony of some sort. So let's look at verse 5 in Romans chapter 4. So I kind of did the beginning, I did the end, now we're going to do the middle. He says, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. So it's not by works, it's not by performance, it's by believing, by faith. Not ignoring our condition. No. 
A Christian is perfectly aware of their desperate need and deep depravity of sin. They just trust that God is able and willing to justify the ungodly. The ungodly. If you are the ungodly, you meet the requirements to get saved. So who's ungodly? Yes, we all are. We are ungodly. So benefit number three is you don't have to be anything but ungodly to obtain justification. You don't have to be anything but ungodly. You mean you don't have to be worthy? No. You couldn't if you wanted to be. You just have to be ungodly. And then you are given justification and it changes you. Jesus said, I did not come to save the well, but the sick. So if you think you're well, if you don't think you're ungodly, like the Pharisees didn't, like many church people today don't, then Jesus said, I didn't come for you. I came with one purpose, and that's for the sick, those that know that they have a disease of sin. So, in fact, if you don't acknowledge your ungodliness, you will be unable to receive his gift of justification by faith, or his gift of grace. In 1 John uh, 1, 8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. God will be just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we learn here, his faith was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham's faith gave him access to this grace. Abraham's faith. He knew his situation. He knew he was a sinner. But his faith, he believed God would forgive him. So faith is how we reach out and receive the gift that's offered. Someone could offer you a Christmas present all day long, holding it out to you. But what do you have to do? You have to reach out and take it. Faith is not a work. No one is saved by their great faith. Faith is a humble accepting of good news and standing upon it. Faith is you sitting in your chair right now. Because you didn't know that I went around before service and I took the bolts out of one of these chairs. And you had no idea. But yet each one of you came and you sat down and you all had perfect faith in me today. You didn't even know. You had perfect faith in these chairs. And you didn't even know. So benefit number four of justification by faith is that you are free from having, from having to figure out what to believe in order to be saved. You just have to believe in the person promising Everything coming out of his mouth is yours. Everything coming out of his mouth is true. Just believe the word that is spoken to you. You have been given the castle. Take the key by faith and walk in it. But why does God do it this way? Therefore, in verse 16 of Romans 4, we're still in Romans 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. This is the only way, he says, that we could be sure about anything, if we had no part in doing it. Only God is perfectly faithful. 
So we need a system where God would do everything needed and we could just enter in by believing it. By just saying, okay, and you're saved. There's no magical prayer that saves people. You've all heard the sinner's prayer, right? There's no such thing as the sinner's prayer. It's, it's great. It's fine for someone to kind of be walked through the steps of, of things they need to understand and everything. But in reality, we're freed from having to understand everything. The, the sinner's prayer is, help me, is save me. They hear a word from the Lord saying, I'll save you. And they say, okay, save me. So the word okay is a great sinner's prayer. I'm in. Me too. Any of those make a perfect salvation prayer. Because God responds to every single one of them. God's already made the promise. He's already done the stuff. All that's required on our side is the faith, the believing. So are you going to believe if you say magic words? No. I don't know. You might, you might not. The words are fine. I'm not against the words. It's the faith that God is after, though. This I think God does it this way because the, the prayers that could be expressed could be as simple as the groan of a mentally handicapped person. What if a person can't speak? How do they get saved? My friends, it's by faith. It's always by faith. That's how God protects this. So that there doesn't have to be a language you know. There doesn't have to be things that you do. He says, I'll save anyone who has faith, who will believe. So benefit number five that we see here is that we are free from any doubt. We're free from any doubt. We can be sure of our salvation. When justification and salvation are by faith, you can know for sure that you have it. You just ask yourself, do I believe that Jesus died for me and, and lives inside me? And that's a living faith. And it's totally valid to question and say, but does my life line up with that? Do I have good works that follow that? That's a great question to ask. In fact, James, he helps us to understand that we can see an answer to that question more thoroughly by looking at how our faith has changed our actions. He calls it a living faith versus a dead faith. He says not that works save anyone, but they can reveal a dead faith by their absence. So if you say, oh, I believe in Jesus, you ask yourself that question, I believe in Jesus, but your works don't follow that. James says, your works have said you're a liar and you don't believe in Jesus. But then someone says, well, I have a lot of works, but I don't think Jesus is the only way. Their, their faith has been betrayed. We know where their hope is and their faith and their trust is. It's in their works. So this, this gives us a clear understanding of how it works. We believe, and if we truly, rightly believe, it will affect your works. You will have conviction in your heart when you sin. If you can sin with no conviction at all, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not yet saved. So you confess to the Lord and ask him, believe his word, and you will be. Here's a bonus one for you. This one isn't in your list, but I, I've given you a bonus. This one's for free. You are free to feel saved. And you're free from having to feel saved. You can know that you're saved if your heart believes and you answer yes when you are asked if Jesus is your Savior. Did you get baptized? Great. 
that can all go into proving that you're, to your heart that you believe the word of God. If you think in your life, yes, I believe Jesus, but I'm struggling. I'm convicted of sin. I believe in Jesus, but my conscience tells me all the time how much I sin. God says, that's okay. That's okay. You'll feel saved later. Feeling is nothing more than nerves in your body. And the Bible says, even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He understands that sometimes you're not going to feel saved. But he frees you from having to feel saved all the time. You can know that you're saved. Thomas had to see and touch. But even that would have been worthless if he didn't previously already believe. Ears, eyes, hands, they're all just fleshly nerves, and so is our feelings. The heart or the soul must believe before any of those witnesses mean anything to us. So you might not feel saved, but you're free from that human requirement. You don't have to feel like you're forgiven. You can stand upon it, and it will affect your feelings over the long term. But don't let yourself just be run by what you see, what you hear, and what you feel. Those are all fleshly. Well, continuing on in Romans, it says, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who has believed, that's Abraham, God who gives life to the dead has call and called those things which do not exist as though they did. Who, contrary, this is Abraham now, who, contrary in, to hope, in hope believe, so that he became the father of many nations, as, was, as to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So this gets really deep, and I just want you to hang on to something. I'm going to give you the end, and then we'll kind of see how we get there. The fact that there's a Jewish nation today, and the fact that there are Arabs in the world today, prove that salvation and justification come by faith alone. What? I can look on the news every day and I see Arab people. I know Arab people. I know Jewish people. And the fact that those people are here today prove that what the Bible just taught us about justification by faith is real. How? How does that work? Because it says here that he, he wrote in verse 17, I have made you a father of many nations. That was the essence. That was a promise that God made. And it was in connection with Abraham's salvation, his justification. And then it says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things to exist as though they did not, meaning God made Abraham have a baby when he was like 115 years old, way past the time. He called something to exist that shouldn't have existed. There should be no Jewish people. There should be no Arab people. The Arab people came from Abraham too. The Arabs and the Jews all came from Abraham. So the fact that they exist and they all came after Abraham was able to have kids all of them prove that God, his word is that salvation is by justification. And, it's, and I'll prove it to you by giving you two different types of people that fill the world. This is amazing. The promises of God, they're, they're like thick and dripping with proof. God doesn't just say you have to have blind faith and that's benefit number six. You are free from having to have blind faith. No, the greatest proof that Abraham was justified by faith is that God said, all right, Abraham, you believe me? Here's a kid for you. Here's another kid. And then they'll become all these different kids. And that way, everyone throughout all of Earth's history will be able to look and say, the promise that God made to Abraham 
was true. And that he was justified. He was made right by a gift from God because he believed. It's amazing. Number seven, you're free from just the impossibility of it all. No, God says it's not just impossible that you could be forgiven. I will give you an irrefutable proof that you can be forgiven. Here's a Jewish person. Look at him. Here he is. He shouldn't exist. Here's an Arab person. Here's all their countries. This isn't talking about their religion or anything like that. This is just their race that they exist. Shouldn't be. It is a complete miracle. They are a tool in the hand of God for you so that you can understand that I know it's almost impossible for you to think that I could forgive you. You've done some messed up stuff. But if you look at the Jewish people and the Arab people, you can learn to trust that I'm real and that I will forgive you. I will do what I promise because I did it for Abraham and that means I'll do it for you. Amen. Benefit number eight. This is our last one. We're wrapping it up. You are free to be at peace with God. The benefit of being justified by faith, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read you a story to sum this up. I wrote this this week. The judge, and going back to our courtroom, I want you to think about that. The judge sits on his throne to pass judgment on the guilty criminal. He reads the list of charges. They are long and grievous. Then he, the judge looks into the guilty sinner's eyes and he's moved with compassion. He pronounces a verdict of guilty and he slams his gavel down. The sentence is death. But then the judge says something more. He says, would you trust me to save you from this end? The criminal can hardly comprehend the meaning of this word. And in the softest, most fearful voice, he answers, yes. The judge smiles, stands up, removes his robe, steps down from his throne, and immediately orders the executioner to carry out the punishment on himself. The doors open and the criminal exits the courtroom a free man, justified. Yet he's now bound by something that will never be broken, something so much stronger, some chains that are so much thicker, and they are the love for that very judge who condemned himself. Wherever he went, that criminal proclaimed the glory and the love and the grace of that loving authority, that loving judge, because he was the one that was forgiven. He was the one that was spared. I wrote that to try to help us to understand where we're at today. And the, the greatest thing about justification by faith is that it's you. It's your castle. It's what's been given to you. And now you are free. And you're only bound with the softest cords of love. So peace we have with God. We have peace with one another, and we can go out and love one another. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. Next week is Easter, like I said, Resurrection Sunday. 
We're going to have a topical message called Destroying Death. It's going to be fun. So invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your enemies, invite your bus riding fellows. Invite everyone you can and bring the gates are wide open for salvation today. We don't know if Jesus is going to come back. We don't know if North Korea is going to bomb us. We don't know. Nothing. But we know that we have this week to invite people. We have this week to love people. So let's, let's lift our hearts to the Lord and let's respond to the justification that he's given us. Father, what could we say? What could we do? Lord, we, we stood before you and the sentence of guilty came down upon our souls. But Lord, we trust in your word. We trust, God, in your great gift of justification that we are forgiven. Lord, it's so worthwhile for us to spend time exploring what that means. One service does, does very little justice to this topic. It deserves a lifetime of wonder and a lifetime of, of worshiping you. So that's what we do now. We have a time right now where we can come and we can eat the, the bread and the wine and remember your body that was broken for us to give us this justification and your blood that was poured out like a new life that's poured inside our heart and our soul, a new heart that wants to do righteousness, a new righteousness, Lord God, you give it to us. It's such a gift, Lord. I thank you for the gift of communion. I thank you that it could be so real for us who believe. And God, I pray for anyone in here who would make the choice to today they want to believe. And I pray, God, that, Lord, your spirit would, would just help them to believe. And, Lord, that they would respond to your word. They would hear the voice of the judge saying, would you trust me to bear the punishment for your sin? Would you trust me? Would you acknowledge your sin to me? And I pray that their feeble answer would be yes. Yes, I will trust you. Lord, yes, I will. Lord, I pray that anyone in here who is wrestling with that now, who feels the call of God upon their life, Lord, that they would surrender to you. Lord, help us. Help anyone who's struggling with that right now. Help anyone who thinks that the world could save them or who there is something in this world to be earned or to be bought or to be gained that is worth something. I pray that, Lord, we would all cast it all aside and count all things a loss for the greatness of the excellence of knowing you, Christ Jesus. You're more than everything. You're more than anything. God, nothing, if the whole world were given to someone, it's worthless if they lose their soul. So God, I pray you would wrestle with every heart in here and God, that anyone who doesn't believe would just surrender. They would just release and they would just believe that you would do this for them. I pray we would call upon you in simplicity and in faith. Amen. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship Jesus.